uh, if you are able, take your Bibles and follow along with us this morning. Exodus chapter 16, and uh, like I said, welcome. There's a handful of folks that are out this weekend, and a handful of those of you who are here with us this morning, and I'm always thankful when we have a chance to gather as God's people and to look into His Word. This morning, we are going to be uh, studying the, cha- uh, the entire chapter, uh, uh, chapter 16 in the book of Exodus this morning. I don't know about you, but I love bread. Bread lovers, yes. White bread, wheat bread, Dave's Killer bread, rolls, loaves of bread, homemade bread, store-bought bread, tortillas, pita, donuts, what's that? Sourdough, I think cake is bread. I mean, like, I, you know, I just, I, I love, I, what's that? Yeah, cookies, yeah, that's right, yeah. I'm making a stretch with the cookies and cake, but imagine, and, and now, look, I, I get it. I know that there is an argument that, that can be made that bread is not the healthiest dietary choice, okay, but we're ignoring that for the sake of my illustration this morning. Imagine a world without bread. It would be like a world without smiles, or puppies, or multicolor, like everything would just be in grayscale, a world without bread. For, for many cultures around the world, bread is a staple. It's like, it's the primary part of a diet, all right? In, in my home growing up, there was bread at every meal, some form, some variety of bread at every single meal, right? And if it wasn't rolls or biscuits or cornbread, you would just get out the loaf of bread, sliced sandwich bread, and that was put on a plate. I think that that made it somehow seem fancier. And then you would just eat a slice of bread along with your meal. Bread um, in the McMorris home was a, a staple at every meal. Uh, many of us have had opportunity to travel to other places. So I've, I've been to the Middle East a number of times. I love that culture. I love Middle Eastern culture. And pita bread is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You have pita bread is served if you go to you know uh, south of the border. I think, as far as I know, in Mexican meals, tortillas are just part of absolutely every every meal that's served. You find bread everywhere. In Brazil, where our dear brother Brian Pate. Um, is ministering and serving. I've had the privilege to go to Brazil three times in my life, and there is a there is a bread in Brazil, and we would just call it cheese bread. They call it poncho queijo. I checked with Brian on the pronunciation of that this morning because, like, I think that's how you say it, and I checked with him, and it is, and I'm not going to say it again because I'm very in- insecure when I say it out loud. Um, but it's this, uh, it's just this little roll, and it's like half bread, half cheese, and it's so so. Now you've taken two of the three greatest food groups in the world bread and cheese, and you put them together. The third food group in my pyramid is there's bread, cheese, and meat. That's the food pyramid, according to Jeremy, bread, cheese, and meat. Um, so if you were to in, somehow introduce meat into, the, into that little roll, you would have all you need for life and godliness um, right there in, in the little cheese bread. For, for many cultures in the world, though, if you were to remove the bread from their diet, you, you would create a, a humanitarian crisis. You would actually... I mean, they, bread is, <coughs> excuse me, such a significant part of their diet that they would be bordering on famine to remove bread. Bread historically has been a very, very important part of humans' physical life. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. 
They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, say the next word, grumbled. Say it like you're grumbling. Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Now, I don't know what meat pots are, but I like the idea. Okay, Meat pots and bread, that sounds like a great, hey, you want to come over? This, today we're going to have a meat pot and bread. And I, I, would, I would absolutely go. Okay, Meat pots and bread and ate to the full. Moses, you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. All the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Notice these next words again. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they appear, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Right, Moses and Aaron. What are, what are you that you grumble against us? You're grumbling against the Lord. And Moses, verse 8, said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat... And in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And a couple more times, Moses and Aaron and the Lord are going to repeat this content, right? Verse 9, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. This is a a Shekinah glory appearance of the Lord. God's making his presence even more known to them, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, but there's some type of extra special glory in the cloud. Verse 11, and the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, manna. It's literally what the word manna means. Its immediate direct translation is, what is it? They they saw something that they didn't know what it was, and they said, what is it? And that became its name. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can, eat. You shall each take an omer. An omer is like two quarts. Okay, so imagine like a half gallon. That's about the size 
for each individual person is to gather according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent, right? My family would need six gallons, right? Twelve omers, um, no, six omers, three gallons. Uh, but, when they, uh, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen, surprise, surprise, to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, manna, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath, Shabbat. That word means to stop, to cease. It's a holy day of ceasing to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather But, surprise, surprise, again, they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its named manna. It was like coriander seed, which was like little round seeds, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So I imagine ground-up graham crackers laying all over the place. I don't. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, I've heard people say that it probably tasted like Krispy Kreme donuts. That's a, that's another good option there. Verse 32, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And do you remember where that jar was kept later? Yeah, it was kept in the Ark of the Covenant, right? And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Father, help us. As we look into your word this morning, help us to see very clearly that Jesus Christ is the living bread from heaven. We pray in his name. Amen. So this morning, the title of the sermon is Wonder Bread. How many of you grew up eating Wonder Bread? Anybody? Yeah, like I'm not going to lie. I still like Wonder Bread. 
right? A peanut butter and jelly sandwich on soft Wonder Bread, like it sticks to the roof of your mouth, never to be removed without some type of introducing some type of other instrument to remove the Wonder Bread from the roof of your mouth. Well, this is the original and true Wonder Bread that God is providing for his people here in the land of Egypt. And what I want us to, or in the land of, well, they're in the wilderness, the Israelites in the land uh, of the wilderness. And I want us to notice some things here together this morning. Uh, There's going to be several themes that I think are going to be really intriguing and not only interesting to us, but a blessing to us this morning. But I want us to see that what God is doing here with providing manna for the people of Israel, once again, he's not just doing a really cool trick. He's not just doing some kind of watch how cool I am. Remember when he was delivering the people through the Red Sea? It wasn't just that, hey, watch, I can do a really neat trick with water. He was bringing his people through the water. He was delivering his people through the waters of judgment. What he's doing here this morning as he's providing Um, as he's providing this bread from heaven, he's not just giving them something physical to eat. He is making an enormously significant point that we're going to have to discover here together, okay? Here's my main point as I'm trying to articulate this passage this morning. You can't live without the living bread. You can't live without the living bread. You can't live without the wonder bread. You can't live without bread from heaven You and I can't live without living bread. Number one, and I've got just three points that kind of trace the the narrative here together this morning. Number one, when the going gets tough, we often grumble. That's what we see here in the lives of the people of Israel, and unfortunately, often it's what we see in our own lives as well. When the going gets tough, we often grumble. Verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Verse 7, what are we that you grumble against us? Verse 8, the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against us. Verse 9, for he has heard your grumbling. Verse 12, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. The reality of the people of Israel's grumbling is something that Moses wants us to take note of, that God wants us to take note of this morning, grumble. I mean, you can almost hear, I mean, the word rumble is in the word grumble, this idea of murmuring, this, you know, just, you can, you make a decision for a group of people, you, you tell your family, we're going to go eat at wherever, Chick-fil-A, and, uh, you know, the now, I don't know of anybody that doesn't like going to Chick-fil-A. That's Jesus fish. But maybe, uh, you know, Burger King or, or Golden Chick or something. Other. Grumble, grumble, grumble. You can hear it without even really hearing it. The people of Israel are grumbling. And note what they were grumbling about. Look again in verses 2, 3. They grumbled. The people said, would that we have died by the hand, we'd rather already be dead than be experiencing this potential hardship right now. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Now, they are, they are doing what you and I so often do. They are remembering the past differently than the past actually was. You remember when we, in the book of Exodus, when we find them in the land of Egypt, are they like happy about their circumstances in the land of Egypt? And basically thinking, you know, it's not so great being slaves, but we love being here because of the meat pots and the bread. 
Like that's why we're excited to be here in the land of Egypt. No, they're, they're, they're begging God to deliver us, deliver us, take us out of this place. And the reality is, and some scholars say this, and it's, I think there's a good argument to be made here. At this point in their exodus and wilderness wanderings, they probably aren't without food yet. They still have animals that they're milking. They, I mean, so they could kill the ox and eat it. They, it's not like they're to a place where there's no food whatsoever. Likely, they had begun to see how difficult life in the wilderness was. And this is why they were grumbling. They had begun to see how difficult life in the wilderness was. And this is why they're grumbling. Look in verse 3 again. We sat by the meat pots, ate bread to the full. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And I think you and I, unfortunately, are often guilty of this. When we think that something is hard or inequitable, we tend to think that life in the past was better than it is now. God's people have been delivered. They've been delivered from their slavery in Egypt. They've been delivered from their mastery by Pharaoh. But they haven't been set free to be their own God. They've been delivered from one authority into the, uh, under the authority of God himself now. God is their master. They are dependent on another master, just like you and I. And here they were in challenging circumstances again. They found themselves in a place where they were looking at the provisions that they had, and they looked around at the wilderness around them, and they thought, we don't have enough in these circumstances that God has put us in. Brothers and sisters, do you ever find yourself in a place where you look around, you look at your resources, you look at your abilities, and you look at the world around you and you think, I don't have what's necessary to do what God has called me to do. And it might be sometimes physical things like money, provisions, you know, the, 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 what we think of as the just basic necessities of life. And you might look and think, I, I don't know that we're going to make ends meet this month. Maybe you look around and you think, I'm not sure that I have the wisdom. The, the, I don't know if I have the health. I don't know if I have the strength to do where, what, the things that God has called me to do, the, the circumstances that I find myself in. But remember, who had brought the people of Israel to this place in the wilderness? God is actually the one who had brought them to this very place in the wilderness. This is how they got there. And they're grumbling. The going is tough right now for the people of Israel. They're in the wilderness. And brothers and sisters, I want to remind us again, the life that we're living right now is, is wilderness time for the people of God, spiritually. We have been saved. We've been delivered. Those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have been slaved. We're no longer, we, we've been saved. We're no longer slaves in Egypt. We've been delivered. But we are not in the new heavens and new earth. We're not in the promised land. We're not God's people in God's place, in God's perfect presence forever yet. So where are we in between those two? We're, we're in the wilderness wanderings right now. And there are times where we, even as God's people, look around us and think, I don't know that I've got what is necessary to do, God, what you've called me to do. 
This world is not our home. This world is a wilderness. And if we think that this world is supposed to be heaven, we're going to be constantly frustrated. If we think that this world is our home, if we try to make this world our home, if we think that America is somehow supposed to be heaven, we're going to be sorely disappointed regularly. We're in the wilderness. We're still in the wilderness. And so often, like Israel, we grumble. So when the going gets tough, unfortunately, we often grumble. But, number two, God graciously provides for His people even while they're grumbling. And we talked about this a little bit last week. I think a lot of times we think, I've got to get my act together and be doing everything just right before God's ever going to deal graciously with me. But don't you understand that every time God deals graciously with you, you don't deserve it? You're, you're never at a place where God looks and goes, they've done so well this week that I'm going to deal graciously with them. God graciously provides for His people. He brings to them, and without going through every verse again, we read through the entirety of the chapter, he starts by bringing them quail. He brings them quail in the evening. I'm surprised that, given, given the way we as Christians so often use the Bible, I'm surprised that someone hasn't come up with the quail diet. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's all sorts of different, like, oh, you need Ezekiel bread, or you need the Daniel diet, or the whatever, 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 right? The, the quail diet. Someone just, maybe I... Maybe there's something there for me to capitalize on. The quail diet, right? God provides for them quail, and based on this passage, it, it seems as though, and I didn't understand this until I really started to study it, but it seems like this was just maybe a one-time, excuse me, uh, God provided quail for the people of Israel maybe a couple of times during their wilderness wanderings, but this wasn't every night there was quail and every morning there was bread. As he is providing for them, they're grumbling, okay, tonight, you're going to have a special dinner. I'm bringing quail, and in the morning, there's going to be this, what is it, on the ground for you. The next morning, look in verse 13, second part. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And they said, what is it? And that's the name that stuck. Now, there have been... There have been uh, people who have tried to explain in non-miraculous terms what was going on here. So there have been people who have looked back and they've studied the wilderness and they've looked at the desert and they said, well, probably what this was is there were these, um, there were these insects that um, at certain times of the year would kind of carpet the floor of the, of the wilderness, certain plants, they would cover these plants, and probably what happened is there were these insects and they were kind of a a protein source for some of the nomadic people uh, that lived during this time, and, and they gathered up those, those insects, and the, the, because of what the insects were feeding on, the, the insects had kind of a sweet taste to them, and that was the manna. <laughs> right, and, and this is just man's attempt to try to explain away what God was clearly intending to be miraculous provision. They had never seen this before. No one knew what it was. It wasn't a seasonal thing that occurred. We're going to look at it again here in a minute. For every, well, six days out of the week for 40 years, there was enough of this to feed millions of people. This wasn't some cyclical thing where some bugs appeared. The only explanation here, brothers and sisters, is that God was doing something 
um, that he wanted Israel to know, I'm providing this for you. And they didn't know what it was. Look, look, jump down in verse 31. There's a little more explanation. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. God was doing something really special here. God provided plenty of it. As you read through verses 9 down through verse 26, a couple of different times, God tells Moses, I'm going to provide it, and they're going to be able to eat to the full. You ever go to someone's house? And they've prepared, they've prepared a meal for you, and you're looking at their family, and you're looking at your family, and you're looking at what's out on the table, and you're like, no, not enough. There's just not going to be, and so you kind of catch your kids, just take one, just start with one. I'm not sure that there's going to be, right? Like you kind of have, right? You're laughing because we've all been there and done that. And you're looking at it, and you're like, man, it looks incredibly good. I want six but I'm going to take one to start with, right? And then you, somehow you get through the meal and you act like you're full, but you know, like, I could, I could definitely have eaten a, at least that much more again, right? We all have had that experience. That is not what ha- what's happening here. God's not like, mm, I wonder if I'm going to provide it. I hope there's going to be enough. Everybody just go, just go one omer on firsts, okay? One omer on first. If there's more, I'll let you have two omers. No, like God's saying, an omer is going to be plenty enough. Everybody collects an omer. That's going to, Abraham may not eat his full omer. I might eat mine and a third of Abraham's. But for every family, there's going to be, there's going to be, you're going to eat to the full of what I'm providing for you. Brothers and sisters, isn't that so like God to when, when he, like he provides all that we need. He is more than enough. He is more than enough. God provided plenty of it. God provided it with very specific instructions. See, God, I'm getting ahead of myself, but look in verse 4. It says that I may test them. There are several ways that God's testing his people here. We're going to talk about that in a minute, uh, a little bit more. But God's providing some specific instructions, some specific ways that he wants his people to gather. He wants them to gather it every day. For six days, he wants them to gather an omer per person so that each family has enough. And if you gather an omer and a half and you leave some over until tomorrow, you will regret having done so. We all know what it's like to go look in the refrigerator and to find like potatoes that have been in the drawer for like three and a half years. Like they have their own ecosystem. There are animals living in your refrigerator because you have left something go for so long, right? But this like overnight, this happens. You're eating it on Monday. You have leftovers Tuesday morning. It stinks and there's worms in it. It's kind of like God saying, I told you so, don't hold over till tomorrow, any leftovers. That's not how this is going to work with us. But then one day a week, it's going to be just exactly that. On one day a week, go and gather twice as much, gather two, two omers per person in your family, because on the Sabbath, there's not going to be any. Again, if you're going to try to explain this according to natural or, or some kind of you know, scientific explanation, Six days it's there. On the seventh day, it's, it's not there. You can't explain that scientifically. God is providing them with in, in, in specific instructions, only as much as you need or it's going to rot. Um, and by the way, uh, so basically God is saying no leftovers, okay, which I think God wants us to, today to practice. No leftovers, okay? Fresh food. No, I'm just kidding. I love leftovers. Don't, you, can't, you cannot use Exodus chapter 16 as a, Mom, 
no, I don't want leftovers. You fed this to us yesterday. Exodus 16 says that, you know, that we're not supposed to have leftovers. It stinks, Mom. There's worms in it. You can't do that. You've got to eat, eat your leftovers, okay? And, and God is doing something here really significant, really significant. And I don't have time to preach both of these sermons today. But God is doing something incredibly significant with the Sabbath. And we're going to talk about that when we get to the, to the Ten Commandments. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on why God would tell his people to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And he's establishing the significance of it right here. But it's a whole, I mean, it's a, it's a sermon in and of itself as to why God is saying, gather on six days, but there's going to be a seventh day upon which I'm giving you the gift of rest. And I'm just going to go ahead and let you know right now, it's going to convict this church full of people. Because because we are not very good at this. We have work as an idol, and rest is for weak people. And God wants us to be a people of faith who learn to take Sabbath. And, and I'm just letting you right, know right now, it's, gonna, it's still probably a month, a month and a half out, and if you want to miss that Sunday, um, you can go ahead and start making your plans, because it's going to step on our toes. But I don't have time to address all the significance of what God is doing here by giving His people one day out of seven where you stop in faith, when every other day it made sense to work and go do this thing, and on one day you don't do this thing. In obedience to me to show that you're different from everybody else. I See, I'm preaching the sermon, and I, I said I wasn't going to. God provided this, uh, he provided plenty of this manna. He provided it with specific instructions, and God provided it for 40 years. Six days out of seven, daily provision. It was daily bread. It wasn't weekly bread. It wasn't monthly bread. It wasn't annual bread. God is providing something every single day. He's showing his people, you need me every single day just to live. Just to survive, you need what I'm going to provide for you every single day. And I'm sure that the people of Israel did just exactly what you and I would have done. After a couple of weeks of it, we would have started realizing it's going to be there. It'll be there tomorrow. I mean, he's always... But the point is, the point that God is making is, you need me to give you your daily bread. God provided his people with daily bread. And now what does God provide for his people? What does God provide for us now? God provides for us Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about this more in just a moment. But what's the prayer of the Christian? What's the Lord's prayer say? Give us this day our daily bread. Do you think that what's going on here in Exodus chapter 16 and what Jesus is teaching his disciples in Luke 11? I think Luke 11, Luke 11. Um, do you think that those are unrelated do you think that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, that they all weren't immediately thinking of, oh, daily bread? Like, that's what God does for his people. He gives his people daily bread. These, these are not unrelated in the scriptures. We'll talk about it a little bit more here. I'm building up to it. Did you know that manna here in the story of Israel, in the book of Exodus, is a type of Christ. The manna itself, the what is it on the ground, is intended by God 
for us to see as Jesus. And you're like, that sounds weird to me. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. There, there, are, there are passages in your Bible that you need to know that go together. And so if you're a Bible marker, you might want to write in Exodus chapter 16, maybe above the bread from heaven passage there. Uh, you could write John chapter 6, verse 48 through 51. John 6, let me get there, 48. I am the bread of life. You might be like, oh, yeah, that, that's different. That's not, he's not talking about manna. Verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. What happened to them? They died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Where did manna come from? It came down from heaven. Where did Jesus come from? He came down from heaven, but he is the living manna. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Hey, everybody look at me. Look at me real quick. You know what we're getting ready to do in a few minutes? We're getting ready to celebrate with a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. We're getting ready to celebrate this. It, it, this is one story about one thing. Manna is not its own thing that God did for Israel. And boy, that's a really cool story, but who cares? God is establishing, I provide for you what you need in this bread. And this bread actually points you ahead to what you need to survive spiritually. Jesus is the one true manna. Jesus is the real manna. This manna is pointing us ahead to the one true manna. Jesus himself tells us that was the lesson of this Exodus chapter 16 manna. Jesus is the living bread. This bread gave the people of Israel physical life for a while but they all ate of it and died. Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, provides for us living bread. And when we eat of him, when we partake of him, when we turn from sin and trust in Christ as our Savior, that's us eating of him. And he comes into us, and now we have life eternal. Number three, God lovingly tests his people. God lovingly tests tests his people. And that's what he's doing here throughout the book of Exodus once the, his people are delivered. But we see it again here very clearly in chapter, chapter 16. He's providing for them in order to test them. Look in verse 4. It says that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So Deuteronomy, this is another passage that you need to turn to. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. And again, this would be another passage that would be worth you writing in the margin of your Bible next to Exodus chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1 says this. Uh, 1 through, I think we'll read through verse 4 or so. 
The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, right, we're talking about testing, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments. That's almost exactly the same wording as Exodus chapter 16. Testing you, that you uh, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3, and he humbled you, and God let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, right? What is it? Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So not only is manna pointing us ahead to who Jesus is, but this provision of manna, this, need, this hunger, and then provision of manna, I think God is using it to do to provide two sorts of tests for the people of Israel. So again, next at Exodus chapter 16, you might want to write Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 4. I believe God is testing his people in two ways. First of all, he's bringing them to a place of physical need. They're hungry, and they're looking around, and they're not seeing a whole lot of grocery stores. He's bringing them to a place of physical need so that he can prove to them he's going to provide for them again. And he's going to keep testing them. He's going to keep testing them as they go through the wilderness. We're going to, read, we're going to see next week they come to a place where they need water and there's only a rock. Where are they going to find the water? We see here um, that uh, they're hungry and he's going to provide food for them. But not only is he going to provide food for them, but he's going to say, you only get enough for today because tomorrow you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? We don't like this. Get ready for what I'm getting ready to say. You ready? He's going to test them again tomorrow with, did you trust me by not holding over any manna? And I'm going to provide for you again tomorrow. And then the day after that, you know what he's going to do for his people? He's going to test them again. And then the day after that, he's going to test them again. And then the day after that, he's going to test them again. Friends, do you ever feel like you've been tested every day? Do you ever feel like you've been tested enough and that you need God to give you a break? Grumble, grumble. Do you understand that his, his consistent testing of you is actually his love for you? See, we have of the view of testing of a student and not the view of testing of a teacher. A teacher understands that one of the best things they can do for a student is to continuously test them. And the more important the material, the more significant the test. And the more a teacher wants, i got a bunch of teachers in here looking at me like, yeah. Um, uh, the, the more a teacher wants to really uh, uh, embed those truths into the hearts and minds of those students, the more regularly they're going to test that material, right? As students, we didn't like cumulative tests, right? Test me, be done, and let me start studying anew, and then test me on that stuff, and let me forget that. And the teachers who were like, every test is cumulative, right? Where whatever you've learned in my class is always fair game for a test, and you're like, oh man, I got to remember all that. But that was a teacher who wanted you to know, to learn, and to get what it was they were teaching. God is a great teacher. He is the great teacher, and he's testing his people every single day, sometimes more so than others, but every single day in the wilderness. Brothers and sisters, we are where? 
we're in the wilderness. And what is God doing out of his kind, loving heart for us? He's testing us. Every time you come up against something where you don't feel like you have what you need or it's not just or everybody else but you, like every t- or you think you don't have the, the, uh, the capacity, the energy, the strength, the, the, um, the wisdom, the, uh, what's the word, like the emotional fortitude to, to do the thing, to move on, to, you know what? God is testing you in that moment. And it's not like a, he's trying to trick you to get you to fail. He's bringing you to a place where he wants you to see again he has what you need. He is what you need. He has living bread for you. That's one of the ways he's testing his people. The second way he's testing his people is by he's giving them, he's giving them a command to obey. He's, he's giving them commands to obey. Uh, gather on these days. Don't gather uh, and gather extra on the sixth day, but don't gather on the next day. Because he's teaching them that not only are you going to live by the bread, but you're going to live by my commands that I give you with the bread. You're, you're, you're not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you understand that what Deuteronomy is teaching us in chapter 8 and what Jesus is doing in the garden, or excuse me, in the wilderness when he's being tested. Remember, Satan comes to him and says, turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus quote to Satan in that moment? Deuteronomy chapter 8. What's going on in Exodus 16 is not some isolated cool thing where Jesus does wham, bammo, and I'm going to provide, you know, graham cracker crumbs for you for the next 40 years. There's this huge spiritual truth that God is teaching us, that He is the bread of life. He's the one who brings the, the living bread to us in Jesus. Uh, we eat of Him, and now we live by His words. We live by His commands. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, and any of his disciples that would have heard of this account, any of the readers, the early readers of the New Testament, would have immediately gone. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is talking about Exodus chapter 16. And I want us to get, I want us to become good Bible scholars like that. When we read about bread in the Old Testament, and then we read about bread in the New Testament, we go, Okay, this is not coincidental. There's something big. There's a big theme going on here. Jesus is the one and true, the real manna. And amazingly, when Christ is tested, he quotes from Deuteronomy that man does not live by bread alone. This provision from God was so special that a jar of it was preserved and kept in the Ark of the Covenant. Because God's people needed to remember that God provided for them every single day while they wandered around in the wilderness just exactly what they needed to live. Brothers and sisters, we're walking around in the wilderness and God has provided for us exactly what we need to live. And it's not in graham cracker crumbs, it's in His Son, Jesus Christ. We have all that we need to live in our wilderness wanderings the living bread of heaven, Jesus Christ. We live with the daily sustaining miracle of God's grace in our life. And in conclusion, Luke chapter 11, 
which I referenced earlier. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins for we are, as we ourselves forgive. Forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus is teaching his disciples to have as a significant part of their daily prayer. Again, that's Luke chapter 11. As a significant part of their daily prayer and acknowledgement. God, give to us our daily bread. And while that does include our physical sustenance, that's a wonderful prayer for us to pray. But again, most of us, we have, we have enough food in our homes right now to last us quite a while. So for most of us, and there are people in the world who this morning prayed, Lord, give us today our daily bread. And then the top of what they were thinking was, God, today we need food. We need food to put in our mouths if we're going to kind of keep surviving. For many of us, that's not the most immediate application. I don't think it's even the immediate application of what Jesus, he's not just telling his, his disciples, when you pray, remember to ask for food today. I do think that's an application. I think the primary application that Jesus is getting at is he's recalling to their minds, remember that I am the living bread from heaven and you need me today. You need to follow my words. You need my life. You need me. Give us today our daily bread. God, give us today Jesus Christ. We need to understand God's good provision for us in Christ. We must pray for our daily bread and know that we need more than just physical bread. We need spiritual bread. This bread of Jesus, uh, this bread from heaven, this wonder bread, and I don't say that in any way uh, to, be, um, to be silly. We need this miraculous bread from heaven. It comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's symbolized for us uh, in the bread that we partake of when we take the Lord's Supper. In just a moment, the deacons are going to come and they'll uh, distribute the, the, these elements. But brothers and sisters, as you take of these elements, remember that this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice, they... They don't magically turn into something else, but they themselves do represent what brings grace and strength and mercy and, uh, and food for survival into your lives. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the real bread that we need even more than this small uh, symbol. Father, as we now stop to celebrate the living bread from heaven, Jesus Christ, I pray that our hearts and minds would be full of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would use the Lord's Supper uh, to minister to our hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as I've already mentioned, it is a reminder of the, the death, uh, the broken body, and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This memorial meal, this communion. The, uh, communion is the idea of, of co-unity. We have unity together in something. And if you are a born-again follower of Jesus Christ in good relationship with your church, whether you're visiting with us or not, you are welcome 
to celebrate the Lord's table with us. If there's sin in your life that you're holding on to and you're not getting right before with the Lord and with others, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass before you right now and be right with God before, uh, before you uh, partake of these elements. But if you're walking in obedience before the Lord and you are in good standing with your church, even if you're a visitor, we welcome you to come uh, and take part in this table with us this morning. I'm going to ask... Angie's already at the piano. I'll ask the deacons to come forward at this time. And Angie, if you begin to play, we'll distribute the elements and you give meditation to the bread of life, Jesus Christ.